You're listening to the voice of the private sector. Welcome to Brian Bushlack's Business Briefing. Inside our studios in Bellevue this weekend, glad you could join us on The Voice of the Private Sector, airing across Seattle, Tacoma, and Bellevue on Talk Radio 570 KVI, and Portland, Vancouver. We welcome you on Freedom 970. Hope you and your family had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. I know so many of you out shopping this weekend. And there's so much to be thankful for, not only across the Pacific Northwest, but across the nation. The economy is booming. The real estate market is red hot. And so this weekend, we want to pause and be thankful and be grateful for what we have. I know so often it's easy to fall into that trap of chasing the next goal. That's okay, right? But It's always good to stop and be grateful and thankful for what you have. And we'll do that in 30 minutes with David Brooke. He's the gratitude guy. Had some major things happen to him in his life that made him stop and reassess what this is all about. We'll bring him in in 30 minutes to talk about being grateful and being thankful on this holiday weekend. Also, behind the scenes at Expedia. Boy, I love going behind the scenes at Expedia, one of my favorite companies. This weekend, we'll talk to Savendu Dash about the chat bots and the impact Alexa and all the bots are having on travel. First, though, one of my favorite CEOs, I used to say one of my favorite young CEOs. Hey, this guy is one of the best in the business. Doesn't matter what age, he is the guy who has turned around Cutter and Buck. You know, this iconic Northwest brand. Let's face it, they got a little bit stale. Then along came Joel Freet as the new CEO a few years ago, and he has repositioned this company, some hot new products, into some new markets. And boy, they are taking market share. And he has really grown this company. Great to see him last week and sit down with Joel at corporate headquarters. And I had to ask him, you know, this was his dream job as a kid growing up. And I asked him, is it everything he dreamed of? Absolutely. Yeah, I love every single day of of working here at Cutter and Buck. And I, you know what, Brian, you know me now well enough to know that I would be happy mopping up doing the dishes here, doing whatever it takes to make this company better. So I, I love it. I didn't know that I was going to be involved in so many different things. And that just makes it more and more exciting all the time. So we've got so much potential as a company and it just drives me. Every morning I wake up, I am thrilled to get into the office. You know, so many CEOs either arrive at a company from another company in another culture, uh, very unique in the fact that you started here and worked your way up literally, like you said, sweeping the floor. So uh, obviously this is a softball question. I'm sure you feel like, I mean, you know every aspect of this operation better than anybody. Yeah, I mean, I still have a lot to learn. I mean, we're learning more about the company, how how things are transacting now. We can watch our customers. We can watch our sellers. We can, we can watch and see how things are happening so much, so much more powerfully now than we could even five years ago. So, you know, we've been here for so long. We know so many, so many different ways things can work and how it should and shouldn't work. But now we're learning whole new insights about how products are connected, how our customers are connected. And it's just fantastic to apply that to, to a new strategy, you know, every month, every week and every day, really. As a CEO uh, of a major apparel brand, talk about the day-to-day, because I I see you as this this coach, really, um, 
motivator. Uh, you know, you're getting people fired up. I mean, how much of it is that? And and be honest, how much of it is is, is rah rah, and how much of it is you know, like real, like the boring stuff, like the budgets and the you know cranking out the the numbers and the the forecasts and all that stuff. I mean, if you had to break that down, what's the number? Um, I think it's 100% fun stuff and 0% boring stuff. Um, I love, you know, I love digging into the numbers. I love if I have two hours clear on my schedule and I can just dig into an Excel spreadsheet or I dig into Tableau and look at how our, how things are happening. I, I, I like that stuff. You know, I like talking to our value added services team and working a little bit with Renee and finding out what her challenges are, um, you know, and, and digging into that and helping people along the way. And, and, uh, what we call a lot of us connecting the dots of finding out what what isn't working in the company, starting to connect those dots. Why isn't it working? Breaking down assumptions. Um, there's there's fun in all of that. If you're really curious and interested about your business, you're going to find fun in all those things. Um, I guess every once in a while I get to do an interview with a <laughs> with a, I get to do an interview. That's very cool. I think that's a very a big highlight, and I remember um, each time I get to do that is 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 great. So um, trade shows are fun when you get to be in front of a lot of customers. Um, travel can be fun when you're learning a lot. You're talking with the factories. You're talking with your customers from all over the world, and really looking and watching and learning at what's happening in the different markets. But uh, I got to tell you, it's it's all fun. I, I like all of it. I like the spreadsheets. I like working on human resources. I like helping coach people. Um, I don't like having to ever exit people. Um, you know, I guess that's when it's not fun is when you have to exit people for one reason or another, whether, you know, even if they're exiting, you know, they're exiting by their choice, you know, that's even sad because it, because it, uh, leaves a hole in your heart with everybody that, um, that retires or moves on from one reason or another. But, uh, we've been really lucky in that. So I, I like every, every bit of it. There's, um, some of the thorns come, but, um, but you deal with those and, and try to get them behind you as quick as possible. Joel Freed, CEO of Cutter and Buck, joining us here on Business Briefing. So tell me this. You're a young guy. You take over as CEO of this company. And let's be honest, uh, at the time you took it over and leading up to that, Cutter and Buck was uh, kind of a stodgy brand, right? We, you, you even joke about this, right? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, my grandpa wore Cutter and Buck, and he loved it. And, and, and it's, it's kind of a joke. But you, you've had the charge to take a company that was a well-known company in that space and transform it, okay? So how have you done that? Well, it's been all about really getting to that understanding of the cornerstone, what that, what that basic emotion is that we have in the, com- in the, in the company and for the brand. And you, you, you talk about that. We, we tell the funny story about, oh, Cutter and Buck's my, fav- my grandpa's favorite brand and da, da, da. And it's like, oh boy. Um, like, it's great, but that's all about trust. And, uh, and they trust the brand. That, that person may, may not have, um, you know, kind of a sexy affinity to the brand, but they trust the brand and they trust the company for that. If their grandpa trusted the brand, then they can certainly trust the brand. And so we start applying that trust to our next generation of customers, what is it that the next generation of customers for us needs to trust? They need to trust that the apparel uh, and the sportswear is going to take them you know, anywhere they want to go. They can always feel comfortable in their cutter and buck. They can always feel ready for the next thing. They can dash off for an interview. They can run off to the, to the next meeting. They can you know, throw their stuff in the locker at the gym and work out and get back, put, their, you know, put our sportswear back on and be ready for the rest of their day and for the rest of their life. And so 
you know, that trust is something we've certainly keyed in on as we've gone through the trans transformation. And there's some styling details and those sorts of things that happen and solidifying the, the styling for a, for a modern consumer, the fit matters, these, these types of things. Those all are major components in it. But, but it comes back to the trust and we want to keep that trust. We want to embrace that trust that, that the granddaughter or grandson of our all-time best customer, um, they already have for us. We want to keep that. So from a time standpoint, I mean, you go into that though, and I'm rewinding the clock here because you've, you've done it now. I mean, was there a, a, a time frame on this where you're saying, okay, we can turn the ship in five years or I mean, three years or was it, I mean, did you even have an idea? Um, you know, a, a, a couple times in the past, we've tried to turn it really, really, really fast. And, um, and we learned a lot from those experiences. And so that with that experience going, you, you know, you, you find out which parts you can put ahead of the others. We have been working ahead in our product development team for the last couple of years with modernizing our products, with modernizing our point of view on those things. So you start to, you've, you've learned which things you start to do first. You can't just put some new marketing into the into the marketplace and expect it to change. You can't sponsor some new athletes. You can't, you can't just do things quickly. You have to get all of the all of the dominoes lined up in the right in the right row. Otherwise, it's not gonna it's not gonna be true. It's not gonna be authentic. It's gonna break your customers' trust with you. And so we wanted to we wanted to ease that in. And now we're accelerating it really quickly. Like a lot of things in today's world, you can accelerate them once they get going. Once they pick up, you can kind of you know, frankly, pour gasoline on it and just get that fire cranking and get that change moving really fast. And that's where we are right now. And continued growth at Cutter and Buck. More with CEO Joel Freet when business briefing continues across the region. Your business is our business. You're listening to Brian Bushlack's Business Briefing. And back now to continue our conversation with the CEO of Cutter and Buck, Joel Freet, one of my favorite guys in the business, you know, it's an interesting time in retail, obviously, with Amazon and the impact it's having on so many different sectors, but also in the apparel industry. And I asked Joel what it's like to figure out what people will want before they even know it. That's right. Yeah, and that's an ultimate challenge in, in business is looking ahead and working to connect all the dots of what's going on in society, what's going on in culture, and, and trending it to, to where it's going to be. And uh, psychology is a huge part of it. You know, sociology is a huge part of it. What are the major, what are the major things happening in society that are going to lead to tastes changing or lifestyles changing? So, we talk a lot in our, or we discuss a lot, we research a lot about lifestyles, and and that that sounds that, that sounds very kind of old fashioned even now. But really, how, how are people? taking, you know, going after their life? How are they taking their life? How are they going out there and, and doing things that they really want to do? Because, you know, now, again, back to your psychology or in your sociology, they don't want to be pigeonholed anymore. People don't want to be X or Y or Z. They want to sometimes be X, sometimes be Y, sometimes be Z, sometimes be Q. And that's great. And it's absolutely things that that uh, that we have to address as a as a consumer, you know, products company, as a sportswear company. We can address those things that people are hyper dynamic. So, um, so we look out there. I certainly believe in 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 learning and paying very very close attention to what's going on in culture and society, and that's going to really give you clues about where business is going to go next. Okay, speaking of retail and where this is going, um, I thought Bezos said something interesting a while back, where he said, you know, hey. In a hundred years, you know, look, 
you know, there'll be a tombstone for Amazon or something along those lines of, you know, another retailer that, you know, went by the wayside. And you think about that today and go, come on, right? I mean, you got to be kidding me. But you look at Montgomery Wards and, you know, Sears and Kmart and the list goes on and on. Um, you're in that world, right? And so you you have to compete not only with uh, competitors in your category, the Nikes, the Tommy Bahamas, the, you know, on and on and on. But you're competing with, uh, you know, the Amazons of the world from a delivery standpoint. So how, what have you done at Cutter and Buck to, I guess, align the company with that and to be able to be competitive in really on on any playing field because you have to right yeah yeah i heard i heard a talk recently where somebody said they hate sports metaphors for business because sports metaphors um, provide all these rule sets that everyone's going to play by and in business the rule sets are out the window. I mean, there are no rule sets when you're coming up against your competition. So you don't come in every day and think about, oh, they're going to do this this way and they're going to maybe do it better than you. You can't do the same thing in that way because you have no idea what the competition is going to do next. So you better, you know, work to keep your own <laughs> keep your own plan in place and uh, and be paying attention to these these big leading indicators, if you will. Uh, but yeah, the competition comes in a lot of different ways and disruption and the transformation of businesses. Um, right now, we're feeling pretty confident that people are going to wear clothes for the next decade or so. We're pretty confident in that that people are going to keep getting dressed every day, and so so we're confident in that. And so it's finding the tail tailwinds in the business. You know, where where are the tailwinds coming? Certainly there's great businesses online that are happening, but there's incredible business in in uh, what we might call experiential retail, uh, destination retail. Um, you and I were just talking a few moments ago about how much you love when you're in Laguna Beach or when you're in Dana Point or you're in Myrtle Beach or, you know, you're in Vail, wherever you are, getting that great, you know, lack of a better way of putting it, souvenir. Like that's an incredibly great time to reach a consumer. And so we're looking at that. We're looking at that, what do you, whatever you want to call it, industry uh, in, in, a, in a different light now. Because, you know, for all of us that go out and we travel a lot in the world, um, a lot of our consumers, a lot of our customers at Cutterbuck travel a lot. They're going a lot of these places and they want to come home with things. And so there's a really exciting new concept where that business seems to be really thriving. Um, go to some of the mountain towns in the Northwest, Bend, Oregon, Leavenworth, Washington. You go to these towns, you see how much economic activity is in retail stores. You could not tell me that retail is suffering. It is fantastic yeah. in those places. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned uh, in a recent, uh, I guess, a sit down we did at Cutter and Buck uh, that one of the big mistakes Cutter and Buck made a long time ago, and it was a financial decision at the time, was to eliminate brick and mortar. And I know that's something you're considering getting back into, right? Yeah, we'd really love to have uh, a brick and mortar experience. Certainly, it's a it's a great complement to your online experience, and and uh, you know we want to get to a place where where we have a lot of where we take advantage of that trust with our customers. Um, but we have a we have a story to tell, and uh, you can tell a great part of your story online. You can tell a great part of your story through uh, through the, your wholesale partners that you're working with. But really, it's it's nice to tell a story in your own home. Is create your own space. Uh, we've worked to do that here in our headquarters office. We do that in our distribution centers. Uh, we've just opened a new distribution center in Toronto that takes the look and feel of our distribution center here and our and com- combines it with our offices here and puts that same um, puts that same look and feel into everything. So uh, we'd really be interested in, in getting into it. So there's high cost to it. You got to do it very delicately, but. Um, 
you know, with social and with the ability to connect with consumers from all over the world in some destinations, I think there's a really good chance that we'll be in, in, in brick and mortar again soon. Joel Freet is the CEO of Cutter & Buck in the Business Journal Spotlight today. And uh, what do the next 10 years look like? I mean, we've had so much transformation, right, over the past 10 years, digital, social. Uh, you know, you get these questions all the time about social media. I mean, is, is Twitter the junk mail of the 21st century now? I mean, right, you know, I mean, what's your take? What have you, what's in your crystal ball? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's hard to say all of those things. I mean, it, we're really talking and thinking about what, what things are going to remain the same right now. And, and uh, you mentioned Bezos, and, and you know, he, he clued into this, um, you know, what things are going to remain the same for 20 years or 100 years, and that's where we're going to invest. And so we're looking at those things of what sort of things are going to remain the same. And, and all of the markets that we service are going to go through transformations. Um, all of the consumers that we service are going to age. 10 years in that time. I mean, that's something that's really uh, the fourth dimension of business is is the hardest one for people to learn, maybe in business school or otherwise. But that fourth dimension of time is just really a critical thing. So we, we like to call it the when of business. So when are things right? What, you know, how is the when changing the way we're looking at business? And that's that fourth dimension of business. So in, in thinking about those different things, we're convinced that people are going to still very much want what they want and want it right now over the next 10 years. We're very convinced that people are going to still be very, very busy over the next 10 years. We're convinced that people are going to want more of the things that they like over the next 10 years. Um, and so those, those things amongst other ones, they're going to remain the same. And so um, if we can turn our businesses and focus our business and you know, catch the tailwind from those things that will remain the same, um, then we'll be, we'll be well, well prepared for the future. Joel, you have two of the world's greatest retailers right here in your backyard in Nordstrom, which has been around for over 100 years, and now Amazon, which is taking over Seattle and taking over the world. So uh, I know you partner with both. Uh, talk about those relationships and how Cutter & Buck uh, blends its strategy in with, I guess, perceived uh, competition, but also partnerships. Yeah, we found great partners in, in both Amazon and Nordstrom. Amazon in a few different ways. We've partnered with Amazon um, at least in three different formats and uh, continue to do so to this time. Nordstrom has been this incredible online partner for us. Um, we've had some store business with them on spot, kind of what we call ad hoc or at once business with them from time to time. But but we've really, uh, we really believe that we're a great supplier for them in their online marketplace because we keep this huge stock uh, of products that service all of our markets um, around North America. So that's that the the main the main cornerstone of it has been our stock our our great our great stock of sportswear that we can replenish and and keep them um, keep them happy, keep those buyers that are coming to those retail locations, they click they can have it, you know, and we can do, you know, we do direct fulfillment sometimes and we do, you know, shipping through their own fulfillment centers. Um, but we look for more opportunities like that as well. I mean, they're, they're just happen to be on the forefront of it. They're, they're doing it very well. We work with a great company in, uh, out of Florida called Fanatics and Fanatics has done an awesome job with their, with their NFL shop, their major league baseball shop, all of their college shops. I mean, it's a, it's an, it's a, Juggernaut. I mean, it's a fantastic company that delivers this really, really good fan experience. I mean, really good. If you're a fan, what a great place. It sure is. Thanks to the CEO of Cutter & Buck, Joel Freet. What a great guy and a great Northwest company. When we come back on this Thanksgiving weekend, we'll be grateful with the gratitude guy, David Brooke.
You're listening to Brian Bushlack's Business Briefing. And moving past the bottom of the hour on this Thanksgiving weekend, so much to be thankful for and grateful for. So it's appropriate that we bring in the gratitude guy, David Brooke. And I started off by asking him the simple question, how he became the gratitude guy. Well, it started out as figuring out gratitude was a um, a mindset that was really going to help me. I'd had a lot of things happen to me that were bad. And my parents had died when I was young. My wife, unfortunately, died. And I needed something to try to um, give me a way to cope, I guess would be the best way to say it. And so a, a person, a good buddy of mine, actually, one day mentioned to me, have you ever <coughs> excuse me, heard of a gratitude journal? Go ahead and pick up from there, just yeah. from a good buddy. Yeah. Good buddy of mine mentioned, have you ever heard of a gratitude journal? And, it, and I hadn't. And so I got a gratitude journal and started writing in it. And it really, really made a big difference in my life. And as a result of that, I thought, you know, I, had a, I wanted to be a speaker anyway. I thought I might as well use gratitude as kind of my handle and decided to become that gratitude guy. So you say you picked up a gratitude journal. What is that? I mean, I have a pretty good idea what that is. But I mean, these aren't like you walk into you know, Walmart or Target, and there's a gratitude journal there. How did you find this? Tell us about that. Right. Good question. Same thing I thought, Brian. I had had gone on the Amazon and I just Googled uh, or uh, searched for a gratitude journal, if you will, and found one and ordered it. And it's a book that you write in every single day about what you're grateful for. And it is essentially five to 10 minutes and you write on a couple of pages of what you're grateful for and sort of affirmations, things like that. I always include my health, my family, my two sons and so forth. But it, what it really does is it kind of affirms every day the things you're grateful for and helps you focus on those. And in fact, I kind of came to believe that gratitude helps you focus on what you have versus what you don't have. And that's what it really does. And I guess that's important because in today's society, everybody's chasing something, uh, whether you're in business, entrepreneur, an executive, it's the focus is always on what we don't have. And it might just be one little thing. So you're basically flipping that upside down and starting the other way, right? That's a good way of looking at it. And I think that so many of us, we look at, you've got a better car, you've got a better house, you've got a better wife or husband or whatever it might be. And this way, it helps you to really focus on what you have versus what you don't have. And in my case, it was really a really good thing because I, when I looked at all the good things that happened to me in my life, I found I was, had previously been focusing on just the death of these parents of mine, the death of my wife, and the death of a number of friends. And I thought I was going down a path where I was only focusing on what I didn't have versus what I did. And when you go back and see that, for instance, now as I've used this gratitude as a platform to speak, people come up and tell me what an impact it has on them. And that is really focusing on a good thing. And that's really neat. David Brooke is the gratitude guy, and uh, you speak. We're going to talk more about that, but let's park on this for a minute. When you go through a death of a spouse or a parent, a child, someone close to you, uh, it's not like you can just pick up the gratitude journal the next day and happy-go-lucky go on with life. I mean, this is a process, right? Great point. I think the gratitude journal is just one part of it. I know, for instance, for me, when my wife died, I also went to a support group and I had friends that were very helpful. But what the gratitude journal did is it gave me something every single day to focus on for five minutes, maybe five or six minutes to focus on what I had. And so there are many things, but I think another part of that equation, if you will, to bounce back from something like that is time. So if you take the gratitude journal, you take time, you take friends, you take support groups, those all together can make a decent formula because 
all of us are going to have ups and downs. I, I speak to high school uh, commencement speeches and tell them about life is going to be up and down. The ups are great, but it's the downs, if you get through those, that determines what type of success you're going to have in life, I think. I guess a big part of it's how relative things are as well, right? So if you go through something like that, it resets everything, right? So somebody cuts you off in traffic or you didn't close a deal or somebody was late for an appointment, all of that stuff, right? Kind of not a big deal. It's a good point. And I think it's like one person's floor is another person's ceiling. And you mentioned cutting off in traffic and things like those. I've noticed for me that in a lot of cases, my whole level of what concerns me or what gets me irritated, if you will, has dropped to just about nothing because it's so relative. And when you mentioned relativity and just, again, going back to this constant focusing on what you have, it makes such a big difference. And, and I think it helps you from going down some of those paths that you really don't want to go down. So I love what you're talking about. When I ask you, how do you balance, if you're in a gratitude journal, you're being grateful, you're content. How do you balance being content and still chasing the dream, right? We've all got goals, milestones. We measure on the way to those goals. Sometimes we achieve those goals. Sometimes we come up way short, right? There's failure. There's all this stuff. So what does that play in? I mean, if you're, if you're grateful, uh, you're, you're writing every day that you're grateful, how do you balance that with being content and not being motivated? Well, I think it sort of resets the floor. And I think it keeps you from going down too far, too low. And I think that you always want to have dreams and you always want to have goals. And those of us that are type A or driven are really after the, the big prize, if you will. Uh, you, I was mentioning earlier about uh, sometimes people, employees that I've had, haven't had that high of a goal set. And I have. And I think you have as well, Brian. And I think that for those people, it's easy to see. But this keeps you from going down too low. And those dreams will always be there. But along the way... I think there's going to be disappointments because life is ups and downs. And so if you set a goal and you don't achieve it, one of the things I've used the gratitude journal for is to go back and reset that floor and not get too low and not get too disappointed, understanding that there's going to be failure along the way and that that's just going to make you appreciate it that much more when you achieve success. Let's talk about the exercise itself. You said five minutes or so, uh, and you just mentioned you go back through this. So is there a structure to this? Do you create that yourself or... How does that work? There is a definite structure in the, in the in the gratitude journal. It starts on the left hand side is called gratitude today. The right hand side is called called gratitude tomorrow. And on the today side, you simply make a date, a day, and a date. You write that down. And then there's your daily number, which I'll come back to in a second. And then there's a couple of lines that talk, that talk about your. Uh, significant, uh, excuse me, your special occasions or things that are happening that day. So you don't have to have a diary. Then below that is what you're grateful for. And then there's the highlight of your day. And on the the four or five lines for your gratitude is strictly what you're grateful for. And then your highlight of your day is the best thing that happened to you yesterday. Because I noticed that when people focus on what their best thing that happened to them yesterday is, the highlight of the day, if you will, it really, really helps them, again, maintain that positive set. And then the daily number is strictly assigning yourself a number one to ten. Ten is the best day of your life. One is a tough day. And by setting that number, you can kind of you can kind of quantify, if you will, where you are. And I'd say most days I'm an eight, nine, or a ten. But if I'm a five or a six or something's rough, that gratitude journal is going to be really powerful that day for helping me to bounce back. And then on the right-hand side is your gratitude intentions, your gratitude tomorrow, as I mentioned. And that is simply planning what you're going to be grateful for that hasn't happened yet. 
because your mind, your subconscious mind can really help drive you towards things that are going to happen that haven't even happened yet. So that's the kind of structure. And it takes about five minutes to write in is about all it takes. You speak and coach to people all over the place. Uh, What's the feedback you get from this? The biggest feedback I get is probably I wish I'd done it sooner. I wish I'd started earlier. And what happens if I miss a day? I get things like that. Or do I? is there a structure to it? And it, it's something I think with exercise or anything else is just get back on the horse again. If people miss a day or something happens, uh, to, be, to just jump back on again. And I noticed that it has such a positive effect. I've got a lot of people that tell me it's now as big a part of my day as drinking my water, doing my meditation, taking my vitamins, getting my eight hours of sleep or whatever, writing in my gratitude journal. It's one of that sort of... Uh, items that gathered together really really give you a good mental mindset well we're grateful for you my friend uh, after everything you've been through to take that make it a positive share that with people i know you speak you're available right right oh absolutely and you can reach me at uh, thegratitudeguy.com that's the website but yes i do do a lot of speaking a lot of coaching and the speaking is the one that really has um taking me to a spot that I just didn't know I'd ever get to because I I wanted to be a speaker when I was very, very young. And then because of the death of these different people, including the parents and wife and so forth, it finally gave me the the reason to step out and do it. And then in having gratitude as the, as the platform, which has really been powerful. Indeed it is. Great to spend time with David Brook. And again, you can Google him, grab his book, great insight and really a nice way to start every day with gratitude. When we come back, we'll head to Expedia headquarters, go behind the scenes and talk about the bots and how they're impacting travel. Back to Brian Bushlack's Business Briefing. And approaching the top of the hour across the Pacific Northwest, Talk Radio 570 KVI across Seattle, Bellevue and Tacoma and in Portland on Freedom 970. So much to be thankful for on this holiday weekend and glad you could join us. I'll tell you what, one thing I am extremely thankful for is Expedia and all the people there who make our lives so simple when it comes to travel. Hey, I might be dating myself, but I remember back in the late 80s and early 1990s, network sports, running to airports, traveling the country, catching the red eye, and you had to go to the book. If you were traveling prior to the internet, you know what I'm talking about, right? You carried the book, with or the books, plural, depending on which airline you flew. Back then, Eastern Airlines was still around, Braniff was still in business, and if you were running to the airport, you're in the back of a cab trying to find how I can get from Seattle to Chicago to New York to Charlotte, right? And you had to be a travel expert. Well, It's still fun to do that online at Expedia.com, but if you've got that app on your phone like I do, first of all, you get double points by booking on the app, which is a nice added bonus, but whether you're in the back of an Uber now or a cab, standing in line, if you still stand in line at Starbucks, right, it's so fun and easy to plan travel It's become kind of this hobby, right? Even if you maybe don't end up taking the trip, you can at least get things reserved and set up well in advance on that Expedia app. And I'll tell you what, uh, the chatbots are really uh, going to revolutionize how we book travel, not only from a standpoint of the app, but being able to walk around the house, plan a trip while you're doing many other things. And I went behind the scenes at Expedia headquarters to sit down with one of their experts. His name 
is Savendu Dash, and he is the guy behind the scenes at Expedia that really knows more about the bots than anybody. Hey, Savendu, thanks so much for joining us. Now, tell us about your role here at Expedia. It's fascinating. I'm an engineering leader here at Expedia, uh, primarily focusing on contextual and conversational user experiences. I've been at Expedia for the last 13 years, and I've had quite a few great experiences working on some cool, amazing technologies. You've seen so much change, I'm sure, in the past 13 years here at Expedia. Let's talk about chatbots and how they've changed the way that people uh, search for travel. It has changed quite a bit. I think uh, the way I can see is the interactions can start in one channel and end up in another channel. For example, I can talk to Alexa in my living room, talk about some of my hotel needs, go and continue that conversation on a web browser, and maybe do the booking on a mobile app. So the platforms are mostly used for booking and customer support scenarios. Hey, Sabendu, has the rise of bots changed the way people interact and expect to interact with companies like Expedia? Absolutely. They expect a seamless conversation with these bots. So what's Expedia doing in the bot space? We are invested and committed in this space. We are building out all these experiences as a platform approach. What that means is we are building an experience on one channel and we can publish it to another channel seamlessly. What that enables us to do is to test and learn a lot of the experiences across different geographies. For example, customers in the US, they love to interact with these bots in a free form, like they can search for something like, can I get book a hotel in Vegas for the Thanksgiving weekend? Whereas customers in APAC, they want a linear progression using buttons. Behind the scenes at Expedia headquarters with Savendu Dash, the engineering manager here. Tell us, how does the Facebook bot work? It's pretty simple. You can interact with the bot, ask some simple questions like, provide a date, a destination, and we give you the hotel options. We have a few cool new features coming on the Facebook bot. A new feature called Call Me Back is coming soon. Users can right now use the Call Me Back functionality, which lets them queue their call for customer service to call them back. Wow, that's great. So can customers also reconfirm their flights and hotels on the Skype bot as well? Yes, they can reconfirm. They can also do a flight cancel if they need to. You know, with devices like Amazon Echo gaining popularity, voice recognition really seems to be bigger than ever. Expedia's launched Expedia Skill for Amazon Alexa. What's that? The Expedia Skill on Echo right now, you can do a lot of cool stuff by interacting with Alexa with some small, simple questions. You can get your reservations pretty seamlessly. You can talk to Echo on your loyalty points, how much you have there. There are a lot of interactions you can do with Alexa, which are primarily simple questions and answers. Hey, how about different global platforms like Line and WeChat? Is Expedia working in, in those spaces as well? Based on the data that we have right now, customers interact with these bots very differently across different geographies. 
we do have a Expedia bot online that we released March of this year in Thailand. We are very excited to see WeChat coming up soon. With Savendu Dash, Engineering Manager at Expedia, this is a fascinating conversation. Do you think bots are here to stay? And if so, how will they change the way customers book travel? Bots are here to stay as customers are using them right now. With the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence, what we are doing is we are using the data that we are collecting from these bots to ensure and understand our users better. So what do you think the next big technological advancement will be to affect travel? Teleporting. <laughs> that, that would be the best way to get around, wouldn't it? Tell us uh, where people can go to learn more about Expedia's chatbots. Folks can go to our technology blog, vfinder.expedia.com. Been great spending time with you. Savendu, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. And again, that's Savendu Dash behind the scenes at Expedia in Bellevue. Pretty fascinating to hear what's happening with the bots and I love going behind the scenes at Expedia because that is such an innovation hub when it comes to travel. And again, whether you're traveling for business or pleasure, you know, last week we heard from Lisa Perkovic on VIP access at some fantastic hotels. And here we are wrapping up 2017, heading into 2018. I know obviously the holiday travel was planned a long time ago, but it's not too late to take a look at some of those spring break trips. I know for those of you across uh, the Seattle Bellevue market, midwinter break is already baked in in February. But April, uh, people are still firming up those travel plans. Uh, we're heading over to Hawaii. I know that's a favorite destination for spring breakers on the West Coast, uh, particularly Portland and Seattle markets. But uh, Florida in February, trips to the desert, uh, you name it. That Expedia app is so beautiful. And it's easy to use, too. Double points, which is a added bonus. I always throw that in there. But uh, not necessarily a spokesman for Expedia, but just someone who uses it all the time uh, to plan travel. And I've gotten more savvy, I think, with planning some of these package deals. You know, I wasn't doing that earlier in the year until we did a segment on these packages. And it's pretty remarkable how much money you can save when you do book the packages. I used to be the guy that would go in there and try to game the system on my own. Well. How stupid is that? Like I can out, you know, outmaneuver the <laughs> the experts at Expedia, right? And then it was the yellow pad and I found out, well, they figured that out too. So just put your faith in Expedia next time you're booking that travel again, uh, business or personal. Uh, so many places to go, so many trips that we've already pre-planned in 2018. It's going to be a fun year. Looking forward to another year of economic growth. Got some great shows lined up for you in December as we wrap up 2017. Of course, this year is not over yet. Uh, we'll continue the ride with Expedia in 2018. Going to be a lot of fun there. And so many cool things happening here. We'll tell you more about that coming up in December. That, though, is all the time we have for this edition of the show. Glad you could join us across Portland, Vancouver, up and down I-5, and in Seattle and Bellevue from our brand-new studios in Bellevue this weekend. Glad you could join us, in fact, right across the street from Expedia, so very convenient for us. We'll talk to you again next weekend. Enjoy what's left of your Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs>